Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Welcome to the Thriving Christian Business Podcast, the show that's dedicated to helping Christian business owners honor God while growing their business and profits through influencing the marketplace in such a way others are drawn to Christ by the example they reflect as they interact with their employees, vendors, and clients to grow the kingdom. Now, if you're ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you can take your business to the next level and beyond with, listen to this episode. If you're ready to grow your business faster, go to tcbsolution.com. And now, broadcasting from the Thriving Christian Business Podcast Studio, it's Pete Mitchell and Dave Negri. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you have magically tuned in for what is promising to be the best episode of the podcast yet. Mainly oh. because I have no idea what we're talking about, so it's got to be good. Get on board, step inside, going for a magic ride, going to the other side where only rainbows hide. Do, 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 do on the great uh, Church Planner podcast. Whoa, great space coaster. You know, 80s? That, no? that might Couldn't be a violation. That? that might be a copyright violation. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, yeah, probably. I wonder is, I don't know those rules. We were just talking about that. Cause I want to make a new intro for this podcast. Yeah. And I, I want to use a real either. song. I, we had somebody on who's like, yeah, your intro, that's uh my music. We put it out there as copyright, you know, free what? music. Yeah. You what? don't know that? Somebody, no. somebody we had, he was like, yeah, that's, that's our music from our band. Are you serious? Yeah, I think it was oh, hardcore hardcore church, um, hardcore church planning. We had a punk band. Um, oh gosh, what was the name of that? Um, Combat Junkies. 
Is that who it was? Punk band. Yeah, that was great. I, I actually uh, used to fly out um, to Virginia and North Carolina and hang out with those guys. So I asked, I actually asked them, like, hey, can I use your – And they No, they I hey. bought it off of a site. That's Are you talking I about for it. this podcast or that podcast? Both of them. I did oh. not use anything you gave me. I bought it off of a royalty-free music site. Interesting. Remember, Interesting. I was the one who was financially supporting this uh, great mission of ours. That is true. That is true. Until you know, I there's, <laughs> there's an amazing book, and I'm going to drop it right now, even though this is smack talk. Uh, it is called Gospel Patrons. Um, it's in my new book. Did you know? Cha-ching! Did you know I'm writing a textbook, Pete? Wait, it's in wait, there. You're writing a book? I'm writing a textbook. And by the way, I just wrote a blog. And I and I put, hey, when I was did I tell you I was writing a textbook? And then in parentheses I put, sorry, it's an inside joke for the Church Planner podcast. But uh, I like how you're promoting the Church Planner podcast. Absolutely, I'm starting to become cross promotion boy after ten years. I'm kind of figuring out that maybe I ought to like promote. I've never been a promotion guy, and I think that's maybe why one of the reasons why people like our show. Because we're not. Maybe it's one of the reasons it doesn't really grow. Do people like, you know, that assumes that people do like our show. That might well, be a problem. People uh, like our show only because we um, we will make fun of them if they give us anything less than five-star reviews. That is true. Try us. So, of course, we don't even look at our reviews anymore. But, uh, but if we see it, dang it. So... Uh, real quick, I was going to say Gospel Patrons, an amazing book where the guy traces every time the gospel spread and he raised up someone like a Wesley or a Wycliffe or someone like that. He always raised someone up like a Pete Mitchell. So uh, this podcast, just yet another example of a gospel patron. That's all I'm saying. So uh, I'm a Pete Mitchell shill. <laughs> what a what a my sugar a, daddy. Yeah. Once upon a time. No more. No more sugar daddy. You, you're you my skinny friend and I'm your rich friend now. That's that's how this that works. Skinny. Oh, today was shoulder day. I'm not baby. that rich. Oh, I'm loving getting back Ooh, in the gym, baby. Wow. Loving it. I knew you were into guns, but I did not know how. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have tickets if you're going to go to the gun show. <laughs> Uh, do you have a license to carry those guns, sir? Uh, I do, actually. Thanks for asking. <laughs> this is getting a little uncomfortable in here. Shh. But tell me, Pete, you like hugging now? Tell oh, us all about dude. that. Yeah, that, no, that was hilarious. So my my pastor, like, I walk into church on Sunday, and he's, like, going to do the arm bump. And I go, oh, you're either shaking my hand or you get nothing, right? And he goes, well, how about a hug? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like this big old bear hug. And so he texts me, uh, uh, I think it was yesterday, and he's like, hey, I forgot to say thanks for the hug. And I'm like, hey, when the state tells me I can't do something, watch out. It's about to get real up in here. Oh, I know. I know. You know what you can't do that uh, they're saying is illegal? Uh, give money is to giving a large check to New Breed, Pete. <laughs> Gavin Newsom has said uh, New Breed is not legal anymore. Hey, you know. Funny enough, um, I have yesterday, I, I I got a surgery. I don't get surgeries. I don't go to the doctor. And the reason I don't go to no, the doctor. That's not the guy we hear banging in the background. He's not the one who cut you open, right? <laughs> no, but I was starting to tell you this. There was a student there and I'm like, eh, 
go ahead and let the students stitch me up, you know, because I was a student once and uh, I had to do stuff. I'll never forget the first time I gave an old lady a shot. Very first time I gave anything other than an orange a shot. She she was in her bed lying on her side and I had to give her a, a shot in the butt, which you got to be careful you don't hit the sciatic nerves. There's a certain way to make sure. Anyways, I give her the jab because it's a jab, you know, your intramuscular shot. And she, she arches her back in pain and goes, oh, he hit the bone. And I, oh my gosh, dude. Did you really? And, and the, my nursing instructor sees the horror on my face and just reaches her hand out and says, you didn't, you know, and obviously this lady had a bit of dementia <laughs> and, uh, but it, it terrified it would have been me better if she didn't have dementia, but she was just doing that to you. Oh my gosh. Well, so when I got in there, um, cause I've, I've had chest bursting aliens apparently growing in me. They say they might be lipomas most likely are, you know, but they're going to send them off to check them out. But I, I don't have cancer or anything. So anyways, they, uh, the, the ladies in there. And, They're going to come uh, back and say you got like three and a half months to live. I know, right? I know. But think what that would do for book sales. Church plantology. <laughs> All I know is I know what I get to draw on your face <laughs> at the funeral. <laughs> we did have that talk and I gave we permission. Did off podcast. I gave permission to Pete to do obscene things to me after I'm dead. So... We we have an agreement, Pete and I, that uh, is 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 there. So don't get offended if you're at my funeral. And uh, one one of the one of the guys that threw the word yesterday said uh, when I got back, I texted him and he goes, uh, "Oh hey, you're not dead. Get back to work." And I wrote back, "When I die in a few months from cancer, I want that statement to haunt you." <laughs> So uh, welcome to the podcast. But it, it was funny because when I was getting ready to do it, um, I hear the nurse behind me going uh, scalpel, and and I go, "Oh, doctor, is there is there going to be cutting today?" <laughs> he looks over at me and goes, "Yes," and he starts to smile like he got it. And I go, oh, "Okay," because no one no one told me about that. <laughs> it was pretty funny. That's awesome, man. That's yes, awesome. I am even a punk in the doctor's office. So, uh, so we're on this medical share plan. It's not insurance, right? It's, it's medical share. So <clears throat> the reason why we did that for those of you who don't know what it is, like before Obamacare, we had great insurance. Yep. May it rest in peace. Person. Me too. I remember Dude, it well. As a self-employed person, I mean, it was like phenomenal. It was the best insurance <laughs> Then Obamacare comes in and literally our prices went up from 500 a month to, I finally quit insurance at 1100 a month and like this huge deductible, huge copay, like it was worthless. And I'm like, why am I spending all this money for nothing? Like I get nothing for this. So we switched to the, uh, to this medical share plan, which you guys probably hear about on, you know, Christian radio stations all the time. And, um, it's not technically insurance. Like it doesn't cover any prescriptions. It's, it's pure medical stuff. And the way that it works is you get billed and you're considered self-pay. And so then you negotiate with the, uh, the hospital, the doctor's office, whatever. Hey, I need a discount. Give me a cash discount. They'll all give you a cash discount. Like they even have a little letter that you can give them that says, Hey, you know what? Every one of our patients pays their bills. And, um, we just ask that you don't treat them differently than you would treat someone on insurance. 
because insurance, the whole reason why the prices are jacked up is because insurance cuts them all the way down. Right. Whole, yeah, of course. It's a scam. Oh, it's totally a scam. So anyway, last uh, September, my son goes in for emergency surgery. Uh, hernia. He's got to have another one. Um, and, um, so the bill was like, I don't know, like 40, 45 grand, who knows what it was. Right. From like all these different carriers. Right. Like, you know, when you get those bills, it's like, who the heck is this person who's, you know, billing me for 500 bucks and 700 over here and whatever. Right. So I'm literally down to the last bill. And by the way, the medical share thing actually paid everything. Like I, I, I was always like, is this thing legit? <laughs> like I just didn't know, mainly because they market to Christians. And I'm like, <clears throat> you know, any kind of Christian program, I'm like, I don't know if it's legit because there's so much scamminess that goes on in the uh, the Christian arena. And so um, that's because people are largely ignorant in that arena and trusting. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would say that's that's pretty accurate. So anyway, um, this one hospital, they give us the bill for like, I don't know, close to three grand. And so uh, we negotiated a, a 20% discount. So I call them up because the, the medical share program gave me the, the 20% discount, the money for it. And so I call them up. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, now there's new charges added to that bill. So we can't give you that 20% discount. We have to, you know, we can only do it if you're paying off the whole bill. So now the whole bill is like just over five grand. And I go, okay, but you realize I got to submit this to the medical share plan. They're going to take their time to give me the money and then I'll have the money. <clears throat> yes. Yes, we understand. I go, so you don't want me to pay that bill, which I could pay right now, the old one. Cause you know, we had an agreement. No, no, we won't take it. I'm like, all right, you won't take the money. That's your choice. So finally get the money. I call them right before our podcast. Right. And the lady's like, oh, yeah, well, that's only if you're going to pay right away. Um, this is It's been five months since then, so we can't take it. And I go, hey, look, here's the deal. You're either going to give me the discount or you're going to send my bill to collections for pennies on the dollar, and they're going to give me a much bigger discount when I pay them. So I'm fine with either way. You either give me the discount or send it to collections, and the collections company will give me the discount. I'm cool with either way. I was like, this is stupid. Yeah, I will give you the four grand, whatever it was, it was like twenty percent off the the fifty two hundred dollar bill. I'll give that to you right now, or you get nothing, and you're going to sell it for wow. pennies on the dollar. This doesn't even so, make any sense. So collections people, you you, you got to walk me through that because I I thought collections people are like, hey, you got to pay this now, or we're going to ruin your credit. Is it pennies on the dollar? Like you say, I don't have it, and then they well, whittle it down. Or? They buy it for usually pennies on the dollar, like the first round. They might get it for 10 cents on the dollar. So they're going to tell you, you owe, you know, the whole thing. But the reality is anything over 10 cents on the dollar, they're making profit. So they will cut a deal with you like nobody's business. And if you do it technically in the first 30 days, you won't have anything negative on your credit because it actually, they have to send you by law. They got to send you a letter and give you 30 days to dispute the debt. So if you do it in that first 30 days, you can take care of everything before it even goes on your credit. Really? Yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, not that I've ever played that game before. Wow. Yeah, we need to talk after this call. I got a situation, a little situation with some uh, doors that never arrived. Um, and they started charging me uh, they, because we were going to do finances. We had two orders with this company. And, uh, and they billed me for the second. So I called the company up and said, Hey, uh, 
And they said, oh, we'll come down, we'll come down. And I said, well, you got you to gotta call off your dogs, man, because you haven't delivered the doors yet. You, you delivered one. I'm still waiting on the other two. But they sent the whole thing to the finance, financing department at the bank. So I got to go after that. So I might need I might need to uh, to bow before your sensei and uh, get some because normally, man, I I just fight everybody. You know, it's funny in those situations. I always tell them. I always go. You know, I'm a pretty nice guy, and uh, but I said, but but there comes a time at which I flick a switch. I always threaten them that. And then I become a bulldog. And then it's <laughs> like, oh, okay. They, they usually hear me. There comes a time, though, when you just got to spit on your hands, raise the black flag, <laughs> and slit throats. <laughs> no, normally I warn them, though. And it, for whatever reason, must be must be just because I'm nice, you know. But uh, like the, the, the SDG&E guys that were out here ripping out telephone poles, they mm. – um, they came around and they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to have to do this. And they were going to like chop out piece of my front yard. And they said, you know, we're going to have to uh, put a wheelchair access. I said, look, my daughter's handicapped. I totally, I, I, I get that. You know, I was good with everything. And they kept taking more and taking more. We're going to have to do this and we're going to have to do that. And we're going to have to wreck this front. You know, we, we have this really nice part outside of our garden. And then he said, you know, and I don't know where the roots to this tree are. And this after multiple conversations, and I said, you know, they, they go right under here. You're not going to cut into that, are you? And he goes, oh, we're not, we're not going to be able to avoid it. You know, I have to go down so far. I just looked at him and I go, there's like three or four people sitting there. I said, well, then I'm going to have to say no. And they all just kind of froze <laughs> looking at me. And I go, look, that tree's 100 years old. You guys are cool. I'm cool. But nobody's chopping into that tree. I go, I dug out the conduit. I dug out the channel by hand to get around those roots to not hurt that tree a year and a half ago. And I said, so uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to fight you. Just let me know who I got to call. But uh, you guys aren't touching that tree. And they just all stood back. A guy got on the phone. He called a big boss. That boss came down. The, that boss called another boss. They didn't move that telephone pole. So fight the power, baby. Literally. The power company and I won, but it was just literally by telling them, no, I think I'm going to fight you. And they're just like, nah, screw it. We don't want to fight. So. Yeah. That's why I was like, and the lady, she finally goes, oh, well, I can talk to my manager. I go, go ahead and do that. I go, I realize this isn't your fault. I'm just telling you, I don't really care either way. Go to collections right. or give me the discount here. Either way I'm getting that discount. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, I, I think God puts that in us to a certain degree. He puts that fight in us. I remember reading something by John Eldridge. Well, not only that, but it's total crap. Oh, like, it's this corruption. Is five dude. grand for, like, I've already paid uh, the hospital. Like, their bill was 35000 And I think they gave us, I want to say it was like a $17,000 discount. Like, because it's all fake. These are all fake numbers they come up with. So don't tell me this is a legit five grand that I owe you. This is so when I was crap. an RN, I think I've told you this before. You know, you know when you go into the hospital and they give you that little plastic like rectangular bucket to wash in, and then you get a little round one in there, and you get a little urinal in there, and and it's wrapped in plastic. 
I remember when we were in nursing school, the nurse told us, she goes, look, let me tell you how insurance works. And she was, she was instructing the class. She goes, when we were in a hospital, it was a live instruction in a facility, and she's pulling things out. And she goes, how much do you think insurance charges for this when you see it on the invoice? We're like, uh, $5? You know, you could buy this thing at the swap meet for $2. Right. She goes, no, this is anywhere in between $250 to $300 on an insurance bill. This piece of plastic, she goes, now what you guys are going to do is you're going to come in here and you're going to throw, understand when you throw that away, the person's insurance company gets charged $300 every time. So she's like, look, you need to start understanding the system. And, you know, once you see it behind the scenes like that in the medical field, you're like, oh, like it costs $2. Yeah. On a, for to a co- consumer, not even to produce the thing, thing wouldn't even cost a dollar to produce. Right. So, um, whenever you get but, someone else to pay the bill, that's why everything goes up. I mean, everyone's complaining about student loan debt, dude. Get government out of student loans. Then the schools can't keep charging students this absorbent fee that they charge. Yeah. Prices will come back down, and then you don't have to worry about student loan debt. Yeah. But whenever you true. get government involved, everything goes up. Everything, yep. not a single well, that, thing doesn't. That was kind of what um, Reagan, back when he said, stay out of my house, stay out of my morals, and stay out of my pocket. You know, those three things. It's Those are good rules, you know. But, you know, I was going to say to you that- Reagan will um, always remain on my bad list. Yeah, for what? He got rid of automatic weapons. <laughs> Post-1986, automatic weapons- are not legal to buy in the United States, but you can still have an automatic weapon. You just have he to have also, a pre-1986 one. He also emptied many of the psychiatric hospitals, which raised the presence of, of homeless. Yeah, but when he did drugs. that, they all ran as Democrats. So now we've got... Oh, wait, sorry. I shouldn't have gone there. Yes. So here's here's the thing. Um, so I was going to ask you, Pete. The things as we, we were do not say with Pete Mitchell. <laughs> So here's the thing, man. I, I need to ask you. Um, there, was, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, John Eldridge. I did want to say this. Um, John Eldridge wrote those books, uh, Wild at Heart. And they're, they're probably people make fun of him now because they're popular and it's easy to make fun. But he did some really valuable work. I mean, one of, one of the things that he pointed out theologically, which I thought was great, is in Through the Word last week, I did a whole uh, study on anger. I read a book called um, Unoffendable where the gentleman was posing that, um, or at least postulating that anger is never okay for human beings. And so, you know, in my studying through the word, I read his book and he made some compelling arguments to that effect. I mean, I, I, I was impressed with it, but he didn't convince me because there, you know, Hey, go listen to through the word, go listen to, to the anger study and you'll see why I unpack it. Um, I don't think it's conclusive that humans can't get angry. But one of the things that that um, John Eldridge really brought up in his book was that God made men to fight for a reason to protect. And then people say, well, of course, that's after the fall. And John Eldridge says, no, before the fall, um, there was an enemy in the garden. Adam and Eve, Adam should have been ready to fight Satan. Like, like he put fight in us for a reason, right? Um, even almighty God is a, is a term which means like, you know, God is a, is a man of war. Um, it, it's a war term. It means that God fights when he has to, 
you know? So, so the whole idea, um, of anger of, you know, fighting it's, it's for, uh, there is a time to fight even Ecclesiastes. And, and again, this book unoffendable. I mean, you guys can read it. it. It's definitely worth knowing about and definitely worth wrestling through his arguments. Again, I didn't come out with the same conclusion, but I'm always helped wrestling through these things. I think if you read things you disagree with, it tends to, to really make you um, know why you believe what you believe. But but I, 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 anyways, I just throw that out there because here we are talking about fighting and fighting the power and this and that, and that has a place. And I, I, I think God puts it in you, you know, when, when you're fighting for your family, that is a good thing, you know? Yeah, so, it was, it was really interesting yesterday. I won't go into the whole topic here because it would actually open up a huge can of worms, but I was watching a, uh, a snippet of Joe Rogan's podcast. Mm-hmm. And Joe Rogan's a, an interesting guy. I mean, he's conservative in a lot of ways, and he's very liberal in a lot of ways. I mean, he's probably a typical American. He's right down the middle. He's he's got views on on both sides. But it was uh, he was specifically talking about the whole uh, transgender in MMA sports, and he's like, "Look, I'm not talking about track and field. I'm not talking about." you know, basketball, I'm not talking about anything else. He goes, look, I've been doing MMA my entire life. He goes, it is not fair to take a guy who's been a guy for 30 years. And like, this is a a true story, right? There's this guy um, who's transitioned to a girl and he's been on estrogen for two years and he fought these women and just destroyed them. Like just literally destroyed them in the ring. Just one cracked your skull everything. And they didn't know that they were fighting a chick who used to be a dude for 30 years. He's like, it's not even close to being fair. When you look at bone density, when you look at 30 years of testosterone going through your body, you can't just all of a sudden say, Oh, we've changed all that. Now he's a girl. He's like, no. And I'm just specifically talking about combat sports. Men are made different. You know, is look at their hand size, look at their bone density. Well, there's a reason that you have like weight classes for men and women. Well, and he said, he goes, and that's the only way, because he goes, genetically, you know, some people are just genetically more gifted than others. And the only way we can even come close to being fair, and it's not really fair, he goes, is just to have weight classes. Mm. And he goes, but in combat sports, he goes, we cannot have, he goes, now, if, if a woman wants to fight a transgender woman, and she knows she's a transgender woman. That's her choice. He goes, I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem is hiding the fact that you were a man for 30 years and you've got all that benefit of testosterone going through your body, the bone density, the physical size, muscle, all that, and not telling the women that you're beating. He goes, when you look at those fights, it's not like that the guy was, or the, the girl was, the transgender woman was technically better. He goes, he was just striking her. Like he just has more power behind him right. and can strike her. But that goes to your point of men are made different yeah. than women. And yeah. again, you know, Joe Rogan's point was like, he didn't have, a, he's a very liberal guy, right? He doesn't have a problem with people who want to be transgender. He doesn't have a problem with uh, transgender and other sports. He's like, look, the combat sports, this is something I've done my entire life. He goes, it's different here. You hmm. can't treat people the same way. They're made different. Men and women are made different. 
Yeah, they are. And, you know, there's complementary and even overlap. Like he'll bring out like the, he and his wife wrote a book called Captivating, which Joe Rogan uh, is pretty did? powerful. No, uh, John Eldridge. Okay. And, and even in that, like he talks in that he's he says the fights in woman, too. I mean, you know, Satan comes to Eve. She 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 had some fight that, that she could have given as well. But um, but, you know, it was really interesting just to to wade through that. But funny enough, on the on the temptation uh, side of things, I mean, you mentioned about people being genetically just enhanced for this thing, man, just just born with, you know, the right set of, you know, hardware. I mean, Mike Tyson, I when I was doing the temptation series, I was talking about, you know, I, I mentioned the greatest mistake people ever made with. Mike Tyson was to get in the ring with him. Um, you know, I, I don't think people understand like what it was like for our generation to hear, to hear or to watch a Mike Tyson fight where I started going through like his records. Like I was trying to liken like sometimes temptation, like people feel like this particular temptation is like Mike Tyson. Like I can't ever conquer it. You know, it'd be like you step in the ring with that. And so you have to get past. You know, like, and I, I mentioned like Rocky Balboa, that that was the, the, the impossible, like this guy was just able to stand. And that's where Paul's like, just stand, stand Ephesians six, just stand. And, um, he mentions the word stand. So what you got to do is just like Rocky, you know, until the bell dings, just stand for, you know, and he mentions that, that word standing. He doesn't say beat the devil. He doesn't say fight. And with Mike Tyson, that's what it was. If you could stay in the ring with him. For X amount of time, you'd wear him out and you could knock him out. But um, but his record fights were like 20 seconds. I remember. Oh, my gosh. And I was going through it first. I, it was like. I, I I, we were making fun of that in high school. We're like that guy who was taken out in like the first 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, give me my $10 million. <laughs> you know, I fought him. Give me my $10 million. That would be like the best wow. per second pay rate ever. Oh, my gosh. It, it was it was just unreal reading because at first, like, it was going in reverse order. And I'm like, oh, 60 seconds. That's 40 seconds. What, 30, 30 seconds? You know, and then it was finally 20 seconds. You're like, dude, that's unreal. But um, but anyways, hey, um, I wanted to to ask you my Steve Irwin question, which is probably good because I probably should. I was going to tell you like about my surgery a little more and tell you what they pulled out, but probably that's not a good place to go. But wouldn't it have been cool? Like when when he was pulling me stuff, I asked to see it, so he's showing me as he's pulling it out, <laughs> and because uh, I'm morbid, you know, I want to see it, you know. And uh, so what, what, you could bronze it. Hey, do you mind if I bronze that one? I, I, I tell you, I, maybe I should tell you what I was going to tell you is uh, it, it, people keep asking me what it looked like. Do you want to know? Well, it's I think you told me. It was a podcast. All I'm saying is Popeye's popcorn shrimp. I was going to say, unbreaded. you said like Popeye's chicken or something, right? Hey, you know that's not shrimp they're, so they're serving. I, I don't know. He's put it in a jar. I don't know where he's taking it. There could be a great market for this stuff. But uh, but anyways, um, I was going to say that uh, – I was telling Barry, he's like, so what it, What came out? And I started telling him things like, you know, oh, they're pulling out like gems and gold and stuff. And But wouldn't it be cool? Like, you know, we should we should have a competition to find out the coolest thing they could have pulled out of Peyton. This is why we can't have nice things on this podcast. Because I was like, wouldn't it be cool if like they it, went in there? If he would have had like some raw bacon and he'd be like, hey, look what I just pulled out. <laughs> yeah. Like, wouldn't you want to do that? Like, you know, if I were a surgeon, I'd want to like. 
I'd want to like have little like props that I go, hey, look, look at this, you know, stick something in a jar. Like, hey, were you? Did you miss your keys? Did you lose your keys somewhere? <laughs> I did just recently lose my keys, so that would be rad. But like, you know, like like little toys, like those little Norfin trolls with the big hair. You know, like what? How did this get inside you? Come on, that would be awesome. Hey, so I got to make a correction to. Uh our podcast from, I think, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned Barry, and that's what made me think of it, because uh, Barry is Welsh. What would you say? Do you call him English? Is he Welsh? Or is yeah, I know he Welsh. speaks Welsh. No, he's Welsh. Is he's he Welshy Welsh. Welsh. He's yeah. Welshy Welsh? Yeah. Well, no, so, we were talking about the Crown uh, TV show on Netflix. Yeah. And you had said, oh, you know, there's two episodes about Wales. And you're like, oh, did you see the one where he went to school? And I thought you were referring to the one when he went to school as a kid and he said that oh. was like the biggest hell of his life. But I think that was in Scotland. I don't, I don't think that was in, in Wales. Uh, when he, when he went to uh, Aberystwyth and he's got to learn w- the Welsh language right. and he gives that speech at the end. Oh, no, because so I saw that one recently. I saw that one after the podcast. I was like, Oh, this is the one he was talking about. Oh, I man. didn't want our UK friends to go, Oh, you know, the, the Prince of Wales thinks that, uh, uh, you know, it was the greatest hell of his life was being in Wales. That wasn't what the episode said. <laughs> all right. All right. That was, that yeah. was my bad. That was my bad. All I could think of was offending Barry. Yeah. No, Barry's hard to offend. That's the best thing about him. But uh, one of the things I told him they pulled out of me when, uh, when he was asking was Muppets. So wouldn't that be rad? You know, just pull out like Muppets. Like if you're a surgeon, you just, you just got the best opportunity to mess with people, you know? I I would say they could probably pull out more, but due to cancel culture, uh, you know, maybe they, maybe they yeah. just talk about it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But uh, Pete, I, I know I said you know I just told you I was going to drop this. I, I I need to hear you answer this question. Um, if you were a little snake and Steve Irwin found you in the desert, what would he say about you? I have no idea. <laughs> This came from a uh, somebody tweeted this one one nice way to feel better about yourself is to imagine what Steve Irwin would say about you if you were a little snake and he found you in the desert. That is just solid gold, right? Frankie, there. look at this little guy right here. <laughs> oh, he's a he's a right spinner. Yeah. Oh, it'd be it'd be so great, you know. So you like you guys can way to die, dude. Like the way he died. Oh, just dude, that's heartbreaking. Out there for a swim and then. You're dead, like yeah. that quick. Oh man, and it hit him repeatedly. Oh, did it? I didn't it, know that. Yeah, it went bam, 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 in succession. He didn't just get hit once. It it was like a repeated lashing that punctured him in multiple places. So he I thought was, one of them got his heart, and that was the one that did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. So lightning fast. The guy said it happened so fast too, but um, but yeah, got him right in the heart. Man. So, that's that, that was hard. I, you know, there's just times you hear things like that and you're like, nah, that that's to be one of those like Keanu Reeves died again, you know, on the internet or who's the guy they're always killing on the internet. And you always think, nah, that has to be a scam. Remember like they were killing people online a bunch or like yeah. false reports of people's. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, nah, there's no way that's real, you know, but uh, yeah, it was a sad one, man. He, he was, he was quite a loss. Same with Rob, uh, Robin Williams when he died. I, what do you um, think uh, Tiger Woods was doing with his car accident? <laughs> I've chosen not to know, Pete. There's just some things you just don't want to know. I was like, what? How fast was he going? 
To, well, you know, he's probably got quite a nice car. He might want to open it up on the road sometimes. I'm just saying. But it was like a, it was like one of those mini SUVs. I'm like, who does that in that car? It's oh, really? Yeah. Not like he was uh, at a Charger. I mean, he was no, a, I, you know, I, I remember Monday. <laughs> I remember years ago hearing hearing about him because he was married to a supermodel. He was like, he was like one of the world's greatest sports superstars. And I remember using when I had planted in Wales, I remember because we were reaching a lot of lost people and a lot of unchurched, unsaved people were coming into this Christmas thing. And I had this sermon where I was talking about, um, I don't remember what it was. It was about Jesus being a liberator that he, I think it was, he shall save them from their sins. You shall call him, uh, his name shall be Jesus, for he will save, which is the Lord saves, for he shall save people from their sins. And 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 I just remember using, you know, it's it's like, you know, everything in life is going well and we strap. This is a, a terrible illustration, but um, we strap, you know, C4 and a bunch of stuff and we just detonate our lives because people at that time were like, you know, but Tiger Woods, he had everything, right? But it's our own sins. It's our own passions that when everything, we have everything, like we have good lives, we have, but then it's not enough. We, 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 we want more. And so we, we do these, these things, our, our sins just detonate. They do, we need saving from our sins. And I remember using his circumstances as, as an illustration of a guy who had everything, but still needed saving you know, from himself, really, you know, um, you know, I actually, I found that to be one of the best episodes of the crown was when, um, the Prince of Wales, he lets that priest like start a, a retreat there in one of their unused buildings. Yeah. And they're all have a midlife crisis, right? <clears throat> and he's yeah, like, the, the Duke of Edinburgh, all, you're thinking that? the Duke of Yeah. The Duke of Edinburgh. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Prince yeah. Prince Duke of Edinburgh. Sorry. Yeah. Hey, come on. I'm not English. <laughs> but I love that you're watching The Crown. This is, I never, I never we, saw Pete Mitchell watching The Crown. One out of shows to watch. Like I said, we finished Dexter. Obviously. And then it's like, what do we do now? Uh, it's The Crown. Crown is so good. That and Last Kingdom are the two best shows on TV. I don't know what that one is. What is that? That's with the guy who, um, he's a, uh, he's a Saxon who's raised as a Dane in, in King Alfred's, England, where like England barely exists. Every other part of England has been conquered by the Danes, by the Vikings. And Alfred is a guy who has this dream of united England with all these kingdoms. So he's in Wessex and they're just the bottom of the country, just barely holding on. And he gets a hold of this guy. It's a true story. And uh, 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 is it Bernard Cornwall? 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 I don't remember that. I've never read the guy's books, but he wrote a series of historic fiction novels about him. Uh, but Uchard of Bebenberg, uh is the guy's name, and um, he's a true historic figure. And Alfred just kind of harnesses him mm. and uses him to take back England. And uh, it's a fantastic show. Yeah, no. All I was going to say about the other point with the uh, the seminary and the the midlife crisis, you know, here you got Prince Philip, who in some respects has literally everything. <laughs> like, what what does he have to do? Right. Like, think about how hard yeah. his life is not, and yet he's totally 
unfulfilled. He's he's unsu- yeah. He's a man of leisure. That's that's undoubtedly brought put forward in the, the Queen. I, I like she her. has a hard life. The Queen has a hard life. This show brings that out. I was like telling Jamie, I go look. If you were Queen, I would just be like, sweet. I'm gonna go shooting everybody <laughs> because they got what he was doing. <laughs> that's like all and other things. Do. Yeah. No, but it. I, yeah. I just. I find it interesting that we're, we all seem to have that not be. Yeah, he he really. I mean, it's really a Bible study that he joins. Like, there's a there's a really cool um, Christian influence in in this show. I mean, there the, mm-hmm. the the Billy Graham episode was pretty powerful. So yeah. So hey, uh, getting into today's topic, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down, Let's to, get down to the nitty gritty. So uh, I don't know why Pete and I still do that. Um, it's just part of what it is. But, hey, wanted to have the chat. I, I threw out on Facebook a couple weeks ago, uh, what are your burning church planning questions? And um, besides the fact that our audience are a bunch of punks and they all like made jokes about the fact that I used the word burning. And I, I remember commenting on there like, yeah, leave it to our audience to uh, – you know, to, to, to punk, punk this question. That's great. You know, that's what I love about our audience. But, uh, but one of the, the first question on there was, Hey, um, it it was left there by Vinny Hanke. He said, Hey, uh, is, is the idea of raising up a church planner within, is it a myth or is it a legend? Um, is it reality or not? So I want to talk about that. And, you know, I'll start off, Right off the bat saying, yes, it is a reality. You should be raising up from within. But raising up from within does not mean that they plant in your locale. And that's that's the thing that I think he was asking. Do you grab people from afar? Um, do you need to recruit them from outside or do you raise them up? Well, the answer is both. Because you might raise someone up from within who ends up going off and planting you know, on the other side of the country, but was it in vain that you raised them up? No, um, you get to raise them up, but it, it may not be in your locale, in your in your immediate jurisdiction. So if I'm a Jerusalem, let's say, and I'm a Jerusalem hub, they may not plan out in Judea. They may not plan out in Samaria. They may go to the ends of the earth, but that's still part of the call is that I'm meant to disciple and to raise and to send. Um, but I think that uh, the the question really is um, do, do how I think what he was really asking is how how do you do it and how do you do it well? Um, so let me let me unpack some of that. Um, I, I, I lead a network. Uh, I call it a network. It's not a network. Like New Breed is not a network that's like. Um, other networks. We, we would say we're a super network. We're a network of people from other networks because what New Breed tends to do is it tends to supply what a lot of networks lack, which is resource and relationships. So we do things like this Friday, um, this podcast already have aired, but we'll be um, interviewing. I'll be doing a webinar with uh, Dave, uh, not Dave, um, Ralph Moore. And afterwards, you know, the guys in my network, we get to like some private time with him afterwards you know we go into a little group room we interact with him but you know for us we're always doing coaching and training coaching and training and like nam does that um but i would say ours ours is um how do you put it um it's a little more in real time we're small we're not big we're apostolic i don't 
you know, my, my goal is not to be the biggest, baddest thing. Be clear for everyone who doesn't understand what you're talking about. You're talking about new breed. Yeah, new breed. You say your guys, you're talking about guys who are in the new breed network. Right. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Because and, and this is where I'm going to answer that question. Um, do we have a pathway that when you come to new breed, we're gonna train you. Then we're gonna train you to train your team. Then we're gonna train you to train others to plant churches. So there's a there's a progression, which means there's three assessments. There's the assessment of whether or not you're called. There's an assessment of missional engagement. And then the third one is we're going to assess you whether or not you're ready to train others, right, um, and, and send them out. So uh, that's kind of our DNA. Our DNA is eventually we want you to be a hub that's sending, raising up, and sending out. So to answer that question today, yes, but many people are lacking a pathway. They don't know how to train others to train. Now, because I build curriculums, um, I'm, I'm actually halfway through a curriculum called Citywide, which is literally how to raise up and deploy planters um, out of a particular city. And, and one of the, the key things that we would train people to do is to work with other churches and come together and um, deploy people that way so that if you're a smaller church, you you don't necessarily need to take the entire burden off of planning another church in your city. You could partner with a Baptist, a Presbyterian, a, a, an Anglican. And what we try to train people to do is to plan around APES teams <clears throat> so that it's not one dude going out there. He doesn't need $100,000 that need to be set apart full time. Our thing is APES teams, bivocational. Um, and so our whole DNA from start to finish is this model, which if you've been listening to this podcast or anything Pete and I have been saying over the years, this is what we talk about. This is what we live. This is what we breathe. When when Pete and I were in a church plant together, this is what I was doing, you know? So, um, so yeah. That's kind of that's kind of it. But how to train people up? <clears throat> Whew, it's a deeper, deeper thing. So, uh, and Pete, interrupt at any time because you know how I get. I start working. We started that. off by asking this question because I have personal issues with uh, <clears throat> with the concept of an assessment. So, explain to me what the assessment is. And why do you find those important? So the assessment that we do would be more like an interview. I need to hear and and understand. I can't tell anybody whether or not they're called to plant a church. And you and I have talked about this before where you're like, nobody can tell you that. True. Nobody can tell. Like if you came to me and said, Peyton, I'm going to plant a church. Probably the last thing I'm going to ever do is discourage your calling. What my assessment for is calling and character. I want to see, mm -hmm. do you have not just, um, I'm going to help you explore your calling, right? I can't give you a pass or fail on that, but I'm going to help you explore. So, for example, if a couple comes through and their marriage is falling apart, I'm, that's a character issue. And I don't attack their calling. I say, look, your marriage will get destroyed. 
if you do this. And God cares more about you than anything you can do for him. So I'm going to give you a recommendation, and that is strengthen your marriage. Here are the things I would say, and come back to me in six months. Come back to me in a year. Or, you know, we're not seeking the Lord together. Or we're not. I'm like, okay, okay. Hold on. You need to do all that. So I've got a couple right now that's come through and um, I'll be having a chat with them to give them some recommendations, um, you know, and then say, come back to me, you know, and then let's talk. So I don't I don't tend to discourage people from being called. In fact, it's really interesting because for me, it's more about position. That first assessment, I, I just hands down, I think everybody is called to be a part of a church plant at least once in their Christianity. I think if you go through your journey on earth and you have not once been a part of a church plant, you blew a huge opportunity of experiencing some pretty rad things on mission. It's kind of like the Mormons. The Mormons are like, hey, um, should we uh, go uh, on mission? That's never debatable. They're like, everybody needs to go for two years. I hold a very similar view that we are a really uh, an expanding kingdom movement, you ought to be a part of kingdom expansion. That's what Christianity is. So because of that, when you come to me, um, like there was a guy who came to this thing we ran called Train Station, which was citywide in the making. Um, this guy came back and he's like, hey, um, I want to go through, and he had all these addiction issues. And so I said, hey, man, you're in a good place. Hey, you're talking about it. You're in recovery groups. You're here. But I knew that I had uh, early, early on, I had a guy where I, when I assessed him in New Breed, I failed to ask him, uh, have you ever been addicted to substances? And one day he turned up and, um, <laughs> or he didn't turn up and uh, all the church equipment was gone. I remember he'd sold it all. Do you remember? Yes. And he was in a crack house. Now, his ministry was flipping crack houses into church plants, which was rad. Totally honored to have him. But I never thought back then. Now, go go figure. I was a recovery nurse. Um, but I never asked him, hey, by the way, this is a rad ministry. Have you ever been addicted to crack? Like, hello. <laughs> like, that was a no-brainer. But back then, I was naive. I, I didn't know. Like, dude's going into that. I'm thinking, he's got systems in place. So that first assessment is, I want to hear your calling. And what I really want to hear is your burden. I know that you assess guys that come through your program. We'll assess people in the network. Our golden rule of thumb was always, if if they don't want to reach the lost, that's not their, like, passion and burden, we're probably not the network for them because all of our training is geared towards that. So that would be the first one. So and um, that makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, uh, one of the things that we used to always say is I don't believe they've invented a test yet that can judge the heart, the true heart of a man or a woman. So true. And, and, and again, if that guy wasn't, remember that guy wasn't, um, you know, like I say, he had addiction issues. I told him, I don't think you're ready to lead yet until you got, you know, some time under your belt of, of um, sobriety and, and recovery. And then I think you're good to go. But go serve on, like, you know, we had like 15 planners in the room. I'm like, you partner with him, apprentice under him. You're not going to get paid. You're not going to be in charge. You're not going to be this, but you go learn from that dude. And so we would pair people up. It was never a, you're not called to this. It was, you're just not ready to do what you think you're ready to do. But 
you know, definitely be on that journey and apprentice like a Timothy under, under this Paul here. Then to move on from there, our, our second assessment was your church is up and running. Let's assess your missional engagement. And so that's something I can speak into. I can help you with that. And then the third one is your multiplication assessment. Are you ready to multiply? Um, and, and I would say the answer that, that we frequently find is no, you're never ready to multiply, <laughs> never feel ready, to, but you're always ready to multiply. But are you ready to train others yet to, to plant? And that to me is because I value the planners. I would never put a dude, uh, a drill, make a guy a drill sergeant who had never been in combat. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I always feel like for that, like I'm always super jealous over those planning trainers because you can really mess a dude up or, or I, I say, dude, I mean this like, you know, male, female. I, I don't train females. I train males because I'm a male, but Andrew will help train the females. Um, and, and again, that might sound archaic. I am egalitarian on that. Um, I believe that when God calls you in ministry, he calls couples, but I don't like to disciple females. Um, that's just a personal protection, especially in the light of all the, the, the stuff that we talked about last week. But that said, going back to that. So the key is, this is how it works for me. When I first went into uh, Refuge Long Beach, I still very much had in my mind, this is what a church planner looks like. And I chose the people out, of a list. I chose Ruben. I chose Mike. I chose Jimbo. Um, I chose Charlie. These were the guys I was going to train, right? So as I moved into that, those were my, my church planner trainees. And I made the statement back then, I'm really, you know, my first church plan is in it to reach lost. This one, I'm in it to train others to reach a lost. I'm, I'm in it to train church planners. And that's really why I'm here. The loss will get reached because I'm going to train these guys to do it. But the reality is I, I went about it wrong. I was going about it like trying to find this is the person. Kind of like in when Samuel walks up to the household of Jesse and he sees the oldest, David's oldest brother. And he goes, surely this is the man the Lord has chosen. And it says, you know, and God says, you know, you're looking at the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. And it's not till later when David, and he goes, don't you have any more sons? Because God's not speaking to me here. And they go, oh, we do have one. He's out in the field. So he goes, we'll call him. David comes and the Lord's like, boom. And it says, God looks at the heart. So it's not, I, I learned, it's not the people that you think. And and going to it, case in point, would be Steve, um, Steve Ortiz, who you would know, right? Yeah. Who, when he came to that church plant, man, no one would ever think that dude would be now he's on the leadership team. He's the most solid dude on, you know, on the leadership team of Refuge Long Beach. And now that Refuge has merged with another church, um, another few churches actually, uh, the there's a group that's now made their way over to the park to still continue on mission there. And we have no idea what's going to happen there. But Steve is there. And which parks, by the way? They're in. They're back in Revolution again. Okay. Or no, not Revol Recreation Park, and and they're 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 calling the mission remnant because they're like we're not a church plant. We're just a mission. We're going to keep doing this mission. And uh, there's some cool things I could tell you behind the scenes afterwards that would get you kind of excited. But um, but one of the cool things is that 
It was through watching what God was doing in Refuge Long Beach that I realized once you activate the average believer, um, you just got to wait and see what happens. The people you think are going to be the church planners aren't going to be the church planners. And I learned that. Um, it was the people like Steve that when his gifts got activated, he became all another dude. I'm like, oh. And, and so when I look back on Jesus, I see Jesus raising up um, the 12 who had zero ministry potential. Peter, come on, right? These guys, if you looked at them, and I, and I realized that was the point, that what Jesus was modeling was, I'm just going to disciple the people in front of me really well and leadership will emerge. So, the, you know, he's, he goes aside and prays overnight before he chooses the 12, but he had already been discipling prior to that. And I used to scratch my head at that, like, but they were already following him. If you read the chronological Bible, you see that all these things happen before he chooses the 12. He's traveling with this bigger group of people. And he's got to choose. He's got to narrow it down to 12, 12 for each of the tribes of Israel. It was a very uh, strategic number. And of course, they were going to primarily minister to Israel for like, you know, 10 something years until Paul you know, ends up going to the Gentiles and Simon has his vision. The first 10 years were just Israel. Um, so Jesus picks them. They're kind of the epicenter. But Jesus modeled for us that you just disciple the people in front of you and the gifts emerge. Right. That's where John and Peter and James, they became the three pillars that Paul later says, I perceived those three were pillars. So as you look at that, um, it becomes pretty powerful to see that um, the key to raising people up from within or planters from within is just raise everyone up from within. And there were different ways that we did that. So, um, so does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Um, It's not raising planters. It's just raising gift activated believers. And then, Forming the teams um, of people as you multiply outwards, um, there's multiple ways to do that. But the but the way that I found, and this is so funny because this got cut out of the textbook. Remember, I wrote two textbooks on action, two 400-page textbooks. And one of the chapters I had to sacrifice, and I did it strategically, was the one on uh, what people would call micro churches or cogs. Cause I'm like, well, Brian Sanders wrote his thing. We called them cogs, but they were micro churches. A micro church is a small grouping of people that's held together by mission. And you'll remember that's what we, we said our cogs are, are based around mission Sunday's mission, but also, uh, these small groups are mission. So we called them missional cogs where every other week you'd be in some kind of mission and the week off you'd be in a, in some kind of Bible study. But, um, we like that rhythm back and forth. Sanders are just out on mission and then they're back to the main hub, which, uh, works. You know, Sanders' model is genius and I love Brian. So, um, everything he writes on that is gold. Learn from him. It's great. We did the same thing both in Wales and in uh, in Long Beach, where mission was your primary driver for this grouping of people. But when I approach that, like let's say I took Ruben, I apprenticed Ruben, Bonomo, and Jimbo. Um, Ruben, because he was the newest, Jimbo had more experience. I went to Jimbo's meeting and helped him kick it off for eight weeks. At the same time, I was running one at the Rampy's house with Ruben. And Reuben was my my shadow. 
I told Jimbo shadow. So he had, um, I can't remember his name is terrible, but, um, uh, Jimbo was shadowing his best friend. Um, I, I can't remember his name, but, uh, he's married to Savannah, if you remember. So he was, he was discipling him. And what I was saying was reproduce yourself. You're going to plant out another one of these, but I wasn't telling them it was a church plant. But what what our missional cogs were really was core teams. They seem like small groups, but they were actually core team incubators. So when Ruben came to mine, he shadowed me for eight weeks. Then he started one, right? I actually handed that off to him. And then he started another one. When he ran that one in Long Beach at DJ's house, that became the San Pedro core team. And what, what, what I would do. So, so in other words, these groups were incubators for core teams. And I would tell Ruben, this is going to be your core team, right? Eventually. And I said, but you can't tell them that. Um, I was constantly from the front, given the message, you're not going to be here in a few years. You're not going to be here in a few years. You're going to be somewhere else doing something else. I know you don't believe me, but I had the systems and structure in place to make that a thing while I was there. So that's why we sent Jimbo out. That's why we sent Ruben out. That's why we were sending other people out. We never sent Mike out. We kind of thought that Mike could be the guy that stayed, but we were literally hardwiring into it, core teams that would plant out, if that makes sense. So, and, and, and as they would kind of disciple those people over the years, they would form a strong bond as a team. They would be on mission and in ministry together. And then eventually they would be a church plant, if that makes sense. And that was kind of the system I put in place. The problem is I left. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't keep that going. And if I look back on that church plant, I kind of think to myself, what I should have done as I left it was to ensure that I had reproduced I would say I was reproducing a bunch of church planners, but I didn't reproduce myself. I can make church planners, but I yeah, because I'd to... say that the person who essentially replaced you—that's not his DNA, right? Which is not right. to say—I mean, because he's a plus guy, a plus, yeah, guy. oh awesome. yeah, for sure, yeah. But that's not his DNA. Yeah, and I—I I should have—I should have reproduced a Peyton. A guy who was like, hey, I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to reproduce apostles. You know? How do you do and, that? How do you reproduce yourself like that? I'm still that trying like, to figure that question out, say, brother. Isn't that kind of like, you know, some people are just built certain ways and others aren't? Like, I would honestly look at that and say the closest <laughs> is probably Reuben out of that. It is. Reuben developed into an apostolic leader. And if I look back in hindsight, because I was focused on sending Reuben out, um, which Ruben did go out. The interesting thing is I was trying to get him to do all the church planning stuff that he eventually was like, he wouldn't do any of it. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, but he came back. And when he came back, I, I literally said to him, I think you're the apostolic guy who's meant to stay on this team and stay here. And Ruben acknowledged that. And, and to this day, Ruben's still a part of that, that merger and that next iteration of refuge that's going on. But um, and of course, it's merged with another church, but he'll bring that apostolic dynamic, which he did as he came back. But I would have trained Reuben to stay and send rather than to go. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so if I could go back and do it differently. Well, I don't I know, but I think it's good, though, that he went because then he's he's like, OK, I've been there. I've done that. Now let me come back and 
said. Well, what what's great is that Ruben actually started off taking his his cog on mission in the park on Sunday afternoons. He he when he first started. It wasn't a church and people plan. It was a mission. Still go on mission every. I don't know if it's Saturday or Sunday. They're always going to the bluffs there in Long Beach. And oh man, that was another cog. So those cogs became like choose your own adventure, choose your own mission, and that's what we wanted was people to just own something. So these guys, that bluff in Long Beach, right downtown, is. Um, Everybody meets up for for different things, drugs, yoga, you name it. So, uh, but our group would go up there and pray, and that became one of the real powerhouses of Refuge Long Beach. And they'd share the gospel, but they they primarily prayed, and that became. And I remember DJ, who uh, was just a leader without ever wanting to be a leader. And you know, we we used to call that the unofficial secret cog. We're like, he's a leader, just don't tell him. <laughs> We had a cog that met met in the park with the homeless people. One of the homeless guys led it, uh, Alex. So I mean, there there was all kinds of cool stuff going on. But uh, but yeah, that to me that's the secret. So yes, um, but if you do it like I did it, where you identify that's a church planner and I'm going to train that guy, you're doing it wrong. You need to kind of take more of a back seat and let the Holy Spirit lead on that mm. and watch what emerges as you disciple really well. So. So how do you take care of all your IRS compliance and your, uh, your bank statements and, you know, do all the financial stuff of running your church while you're training all you know, these guys to be true. If you didn't do that just then, I was going to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, Pete, uh, it's really interesting because what I learned to do was contact simplifiedchurch.com and get them to handle all of my bookkeeping, my IRS compliance, my payroll services, and they took care of that like a charm for me, Pete. So I could keep multiplying and raising up planners from within. I love it. I love it. So that was simplifychurch.com? That's right, Pete. Simplifychurch.com. And tell them Peyton and Pete sent you. Cool. Well, hey, guys. Thanks for joining us. And uh, if you have a rough week, just imagine what Steve Irwin would say to Pete Mitchell if you're a little snake found in the desert. And you'll feel better about yourself and Pete. We want to thank you today for joining us for this very loud edition of the Church Planner Podcast. And we want to remind you as well that if you want to reach ones no one's reaching, I butchered this, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music